1: When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.
2: Good afternoon, everybody. Wow, cold and snowy, real quick. (laughs) Welcome to Ohio. Hey, let's start thinking positively. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to. Before you are a leader, success is all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is all about growing others. That's Jack Welch. Leaders become great, not because of their power, because of their ability to empower others. The most dangerous leadership myth is that leaders are born, that there is a genetic factor to leadership. That's nonsense. In fact, the opposite is true. Leaders are made rather than born. Oh, there we go. Uh, Anyway, folks, uh, you know, if you want to get any of the material that we talk about, do a wealth plan, have a family inventory workbook. Been a lot of those out recently, uh, both of those. Uh, There was a great article in Barron's this week. And it it basically said that a financial advisor is a great idea uh, for retirement. And a wealth plan is even a better idea. The combination of two almost uh, ensures a a good retirement. So I didn't say it. Barron's did. Anyway, if you want any of the stuff that we're going to talk about on the show, just go to WHK 1420's webpage. Go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show. It takes you directly to my web page. There's all sorts of contact me, email me, that type of stuff. And by the way, while you're there, under Insight, there's a lot of good stuff. New, I, I just turned over the inventory. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, ch- we try to change it either once every week or two weeks, give some people time to look things over. Under Bulletin Board, there's a newsletter and also has Rob Schleimer's roadmap. Okay. So, you know, I thought it was interesting. Last week was the first week we had inflows into the stock market uh, from the retail side, anyway. Uh, and the market had its first down week in a pretty long time. Uh, I mean, fourteen of the last fifteen weeks we've been up, and there we go. So, um, but it is the year of the dragon. It's Seventy-eight to seventy-three percent of the time. When it is the year of the dragon, we have an average of 13.3% return. Now, if you think it's the top, I will just say this. Um, margin debt it is way below where it peaked out. I mean, I think it was $963 billion, It's now 710 or something like that. So uh, usually, you know, you get a peak in margin debt before that is going on. And, you know, we talked about uh, – <laughs> uh, AI, basically in, in June, well, actually May. And I just want you to know that the University of Pennsylvania uh, has now got a undergraduate, several undergraduate courses in AI. Isn't that interesting? And uh, I, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Charlie called me last week and said, what is the Hindenburg Omen? That's when you're hitting a new high and you have, this, you have an, a number of new lows and number of new highs at the same time. And you've got some crossovers and stuff like that, but that's the easiest way to describe it. It doesn't always work. <laughs> just leave it at that. And so anyway, I was listening to Lori Calvicita, who's a very smart lady. She's on, on CNBC quite a bit, and I think there's a couple things you need to know. Uh, at least she, this is what she's thinking, and she's pretty smart, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, first of all, the fourth quarter reporting season stats are similar to what, uh, we thought they would be over the past few weeks. And the muted stock price reactions following earnings prints and following compression in the forecasted growth uh, rate embedded in the consensus earnings expectation in the 2024. That's what I see. Second, if we review the earnings calls, the tone was mixed on m- macro um, and negative on China. So those are two pretty big markets. (laughs) You know, the macro is America, and uh, China is one of the big trading partners there. So it's not – no one's enthusiastic. Uh, We didn't have too many enthusiastic people on those conference calls. And third, if you look at some of the charts on the U.K. and Europe, uh, the earning dominance of the top seven names in the S&P – 500 is starting to fade a little bit, which may spark that leadership rotation down the road that we're looking for. Uh, We'll see. Um, Now, as has been the case for most of the reporting season, the percent of S&P 500 companies beating consensus is still tracking just a little bit lower than last quarter. All right. Uh, Earnings per share beats are tracking lower for the Russell, uh, you know, the Russell 2000, I should say. Within the Russell 1000, the companies posting earning beats are outperforming the broader market. That's kind of interesting. Small cap companies uh, posting earning beats have been slight underperformers, so they can't catch a break. And uh, if you look at the S and P 500 um, in 2023, our estimate was uh, is now tracking at 224. Uh, That's a little bit higher than the two. Uh, That's actually down from 243, okay? Um, uh, 223, uh, 233. But uh, we're still looking at 243 for uh, 2024. So that's good. Sorry, I messed that up a little bit. Uh, Last week, we were expecting some downward revisions to 2024's bottom up consensus. um, But our modeling stayed stayed up. So we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, Most sectors are contributing to the up. Uh, were revision, but it's it's worth noting that consumer discretionary uh, and and industrials and the top seven stocks in, in the heavy uh, top seven the magnificent seven what do we call them uh, are doing the heavy lifting. Okay, so there we go. Um, you know, the, the tone is mixed on macro. China is a negative. There's a positive tilt for the U.S. consumer. That's how I kind of describe what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, and we've been highlighting now how th- there's been a wide way to uh, wide range of descriptions of macro uh, backdrop and outlook in, in most companies, uh, you know, commentary. So that's uh, there, there's no there's no excitement, okay? And some companies emphasize the challenges of weather, China, software consumer, destocking, you know, general uncertainty and stuff like that. So. There's, there's no enthusiasm. Uh, China remained in focus in discussions of non-U.S. markets, and also some of the geopolitics. You know, the Middle East obviously becoming a problem. Uh, Ukraine's been a problem, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the the one theme that keeps coming out there is the the there's been a challenge in the reporting season. And that's high costs remain in focus. Okay, so pricing seems a bit more in focus than prior weeks. And given the shift in the sector mix, we felt like we got more color on the state of the U.S. consumer last week than we had prior weeks. And, you know, as was the case with the macro backdrop, but commentary was mixed, All right? So there we go. Now, I will say this, and this may be positive for the overall market. The earning, earning dominance of the top seven names is starting to fade a little bit, and that's good. Now, the... The net bullishness may be headed for a a two-standard deviation event. If you don't know what that is, I don't think you should mention your own money. We've been expecting a pullback in U.S. equity markets based on the fact that net bulls in the uh, weekly AAII poll, that's American Association of Individual Investors, came uh, into the year one-plus standard deviation above the long term. And the fact that this indicator has been – Well, let's just say uh, oscillating between one and plus one and negative one standard deviation since last summer, but has now got new life and reinvigorated on the domestic uh, economy, and so you know we're we're up there, and you don't see that very often. Uh, It's it's not the end of the world or anything like that, but it's something that you got to pay close attention to. So, I think a year. you know, we, we look back in this year and I think one of the key things we gotta take a look at is the regional banks. You know, we were we were talking about the collapse of, of several US banks at about this time last year, and it, it brought a new chill to uh uh Wall Street and, and mounting losses on real estate and stuff like that. Real estate's really rallied though. So uh but you know, if you look at the regional banks, the pullback still remains above the recent uh lows that we had back you know, uh, in April and, and, uh, October. So we'll see what happens, but there's still a lot of banks out there that have good balance sheets. And I think, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but th- the hard realities are that projects are closing and properties are being sold well below appraised values. There's a lot of, a lot of wealthy people starting to buy real estate at dep- very depressed levels. Uh, and, and, and that reminds me of like Florida back in, in, uh, you know, the days of uh, now that was different because Florida is a vacation home, but you know during the Great Financial Crisis the homes in Florida were going for cheap and a lot of people from Europe started to buy them. So, so I think the the banking system is telling us go big or stay home, All right. Um, and and that's the key. So you you really have to have uh, I I think. Small banks' reliance on commercial real estate is a double hit. Not only are they seeing large write-downs on existing loans, but the pressure from investors also uh, makes it difficult to aggressively originate new loans. So they're between a rock and a hard space is what I'm trying to tell you. So keep that in mind. Now, the second thing I think you've got to talk about is with geopolitical tensions and, and the policy uncertainty are contributing to a very murky economic outlook around uh, supply chain disruptions and, and their possible impact uh, on inflation. So if you look at monetary policy landscape and the potential role of fixed income in your portfolio position, I think it's important. So decline in inflation trends have been established across most of the global economy. Uh, tighter monetary policy proving effective in managing inflation as it's supposed to. Inflation measured by the U.S. CPI has fallen six percentage points since June of 2022. Popped up here recently. And, you know, we kind of warned you. We said that we thought the bond market yields were oversold and would pop, and, and they did. And I think they got a little bit more room, room to run. So the question is, you know, is, it, is inflation going to go straight down that's not the way it works uh the higher than expected january u.s inflation data this week underscores that risk that inflation could drift a little higher or remain sticking above the federal reserve's two percent target remember th- th- look if, if you're waiting for the federal reserve to do the right thing they they've been wrong two, two times in a row okay so they could be wrong again all right they're working off the same information we are and they're human too so I'm not criticizing them. You know, look, I thought they did a pretty good job through the whole scenario. But I also think that, you know, they've been wrong. So everybody's wrong occasionally, and you got to keep that in the back of your head. So we think the in, in inflation risk, uh, risk should be incorporated into a, a broader investment strategy. What we see is, uh, well, let's put it this way. I guess the first question is, do supply chain challenges fuel inflation risk? And that's the first thing, you know, stuff like the, you know, the Red Sea and 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 the and the Suez Canal, uh, and then policy risks, it, you know, is is are you going to cut or are you going to protect? Okay, you know, so bond yields pop back up, and we, yeah, I mean, it, they went from five percent down to three point eight in a very short period of time, and they, by the way, they went from three point three to five in a very short period of time too. So, you know, we're having this. You know, usually when you get that type of vol- volatility, you've got to, you know, think that you're getting close to a top. Who knows? But fixed income, uh, you know, you need kind of a shock absorber for that. Uh, valuations have undergone uh, a much larger adjustment than equity valuations over the last couple of years. Remember, we didn't even talk about bonds too much on this show because interest rates were so low. You know, you know we just didn't see them as a good idea. Uh, because you know when interest rates are low if they pop up like they did you get hit on the principal that's your safe money that's not how you want it to to be done okay so if we if inflation rises or remains above target we think the current elevated yield to maturity levels provide shock absorber potential so you know bonds are back and i think you got to keep that in mind uh you know, municipal bonds. There's some, a lot of good-looking stuff in the municipal bond area. You know, uh, you go up at four and a half percent sometimes. You know, um, that's just a guess. Uh, but fixed income markets are facing a reality check on on you know after the CPI thing. So they rallied too much. Maybe they pull back a little bit. Who knows? Um, so, but when you have that higher than expected data, you reduce the already slim profit. Uh, uh, prospects that the policymakers going to you know lower retail uh, l- lower the interest rates, and retail sales declined during January as consumers took a breather after the holiday shopping. So that was another thing that uh, you know things are getting interesting here again. Okay, so keep that in the back of your head. Now, um, I had a lot of questions, and, and there's one stock I really like in this area. Uh, I'm not going to mention it. You got to call me on that one. Um, is the solar area. And, you know, one of the problems with solar is, first of all, if you have a Republican come in, they're probably going to kill the tax credit. Okay. And the other thing is, when interest rates go up, they can't get money. And solar companies and all the, the new green energies need cash. Okay. So when the money goes away, it's, you know, biotechnology went through the same thing. Okay. So, the demand environment is improving, though, so the solar industry could continue to benefit from a positive rate of change and will continue to see long-term support from public policy, uh, we hope, anyway, emissions regulation and declining costs. Now, near-term, both residential and utility-scale solar are facing some headwinds. The the residential, uh, you know, from higher interest rates, obviously. Uh, unfavorable changes in net metering policy and the roll-off of certain subsidy programs and in the international markets. However, you know, we see a potential turning point in investor sentiment as the bottom of demand slowdown is being set pretty much at this point. Now, if, if interest rates start to decline, we believe utility-scale solar is positioned to be an outsized beneficiary of easing interest rates. So, you know, solar projects are much more susceptible to changing interest rates than anybody else. But, hey, let's take a break. This is a Smart Investor Show. We'll be back in a second.
3: Hey, Bob France here for Empire Window Company. That's the company I chose when we needed to replace our outdated, energy-depleting windows. And with good reason. For one, Empire has 64 years in the business. That means 64 years of buying power that allows them to give you the very best pricing. And another the housing market is rough right now mortgage rates are through the roof so why move when you can transform the look of your current house into the dream home you've always wanted empire window company has been northeast Ohio from the beginning chances are they've already done windows or siding for friends family or the people in your neighborhood it's a local company you can trust ask around and right now due to the volume purchasing empire can do you can get an entire house full of new windows for about 85 bucks a month that's an incredible bargain to upgrade the look and value of your house Call Empire Window Company like I did, 855-76-EMPIRE. That's 855-76-EMPIRE or log on to com. Empire Window Company, you deserve a fair price. This is Dennis Prager, and now a truly exciting new benefit. My monthly online video get-together for Prager Topia Plus members only. For an hour each month, get an exclusive chance to ask me anything. I'll be answering your questions. I've never done this. Submit your questions for me at PragerTopia.com. This is our chance to connect like never before. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com.
4: When rolling over your 401k, it's easy to get lost. Look to the experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors from RBC Wealth Management to guide you through the whole 401k rollover process. It's all part of designing a plan that's tailored to your unique investment needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC.
2: I think that's the Herman Hermits. I think they're going to be at the Kent States coming here uh, soon. Herman Hermits. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, um, I I talked about a report back in, I think it was June, called Data Center Liquid Cooling. And I want you to know there was one stock in there. uh, By the way, all but one stock in that group is up on average of 25%. (laughs) So. It was a great report, uh, but one stock just went from three hundred to nine eighty, and then collapsed on Friday. Uh, but that was a pretty good return. So some of the stuff I sent out, you know, is big time stuff. And if you're not participating, you should, you know, you probably should be doing business with me because it's good stuff. Anyway, uh, that is still an area I think is we haven't even started, and and uh, you know the next gen. AI chips and servers require cooling technology that traditional HVAC cannot handle. Uh, You know, warm air or hot, uh, cool air, um, you just can't, you can't cool a warehouse like that. You know, these chips, these GPU units that everybody talks about that are in shortage, you know, they, they, they cruise at about 120, 125 degrees. So you need a liquid cooling base, and, 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 and we have those names. It's it's an old report, but it still means, as far as I'm concerned, still quite quite important. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I think that, you know, you you will see—I'm sorry, I'm trying to find my place as I'm talking—you uh, will see uh, multiple, multiple big winners in that, that area. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I was looking back, and I, I think – I had several clients ask me, why don't I have so much cash? Uh, they don't have – you know, you we know, have 20% cash. Uh, I think in the United States, anyway, you need to be nimble and, and position equities. And I'm starting to finally see some of the small names that we really like that I got kind of beat up on a, a little bit are starting to come back and, on heavy volume, and I think I like that. Uh, bonds bonds could post some pretty good strong returns for the first year in three years. I think um, there's a wide range of potential economic outcomes. As uh, you know, as Lori said, uh, she's you know the macro is cloudy. China, they're not even talking about. Okay, those are two pretty big economies. <laughs> I mean, that's that's 130 percent of the rest of the world. Okay, so uh, so the market seems. You know, the last couple of weeks seems like it's positioned for a really rosy scenario. Uh, you know, the S&P 500 earnings forecast is, is 244 for, for 2024. That's 11.1% year-over-year growth. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we go. But, you know, presidential elections tend to uh, be a positive afterwards. And the one thing I will say is is that 100% of the time, if October is down, the incumbent's out. That's, it's been that way for years and years and years. So, um, And I, I think it's interesting. This is the first time in 20 years that Mexico is now a larger trading partner than China. and not interesting? Very interesting. So, uh, yeah. look, we just went through a period of time where for 14 of the last 15 weeks, we had, we had an up market. That hasn't happened since 1972, and uh, this week was down, so we'll see what happens. But and what's interesting is this is the first week, last week was the first week, not the, not last week, the week before, was the first week of inflows into the market in 12 weeks. So we, we were going up on nothing. So first of all, margin expenses are low. I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we're 25% from the high, okay? We have tons of money in the market that's going to have to play catch-up. So, I mean, I don't know. If, what I'm trying to tell you is I don't think we're at the top, <laughs> All right. So we think the S&P 500 over the, uh, returns over the next 12 months, maybe 18 months, will largely depend on you know, whether a U.S. recession materializes, whether the Fed stays around too long. And uh, look, the U.S. stock market has generally historically traded in a four-year pattern. Associated with elections, by the way, and during the election year, uh, the median average return is ten and a half, ten point seven percent. The the average is seven point five percent. So um, you know it's like February. February the average is negative, the median is positive. Last two weeks of February tend to be kind of ugly. All right, so just keep that in the mind. So look, we're telling you to maintain your U.S. equities at the market weight level, okay, and uh, to take advantage of what we see as some distinct possibilities that could come up. The allocation is also intended to balance the risk of a recession. Now, a recession, you know, a good the good news would be that your bond portfolio would do well, okay, because the interest rates would come down. So keep that in the back of your mind. I think, uh, uh, you know, people have been asking me, should investors... Limit individual stock selection to companies that would be con- content to own through a recession? And I think the answer is that yes. You know, you want healthy balance sheets. You want, you know, look, one of the areas I've been talking about for months now is dividend growth. Nobody's talking about that. I just finally saw some guy on CNBC talk about it Friday, dividend growth. So, dividend growth, you know, scatter those around, put some fixed income in there, you know, that type of thing. Now, one area, that Lori Calpestina and also one of our our esteemed colleagues over at another firm, who is one of the best, I mean, he hit the S&P 500 on the head last year. Uh, Both think small caps are going to be interesting. And by the way, neither one of these guys are backing off on the Fed having to lower interest rates soon. So, you know, look, we think the time is now we're bullish on small caps. I think it's a very good time. We have a great report on some of these. Um, but you know, they're not for everybody. They're not for widows or orphans, if you know what I mean. Um, and I own several of these stocks, and, I, and I've done very, very well with them. And I'm looking at more and more, so we'll just see what happens. Uh, uh, but it, it's it's in a little bit of everything, you know, advertising, electronics, biotechnology, that type of thing. Uh, now, um, I, I want to talk about this again because one of the areas that we see is is very could be substantial outperformers this year are financials. Now I'm not talking about regional banks. I mean they could they could turn the corner if they do. It could be really interesting. But I'm talking about financials. Large banks, you know, there's a lot of other financials, okay? But the large banks, we expect the median earnings per share to decrease about nine and a half percent. Uh but that most of that is coming from the regional banks. So we'll see what happens. That's about, uh, sequentially, we expect lower net interest income and higher provisions, okay? So year over year, we expect the earnings per share to decrease. But are, is that in the stocks already? That's the key. So the valuations banks have underperformed, uh, you know, year to date uh, relative to the broader market, but they're cheap. I mean, a, a lot of them are trading near book or book and a quarter, and, you know, they – some of them trade below books. So look, we expect loan growth to be a a sequential increase of just like 0.8%, nothing big, but there are some really interesting banks out there and better yet, there are other financials that look really good. So keep that in the back of your head. And I think it's important because, you know, financials have been hot and cold the last couple of years, but when they've been hot, you made a lot of money on them. And now they got a, they got a lot colder than I expected last spring. I'm still up on all of them, but I, I didn't I didn't particularly like uh, how fast they disintegrated. But you know the regional banks are a different breed. They have a lot of realists. You know that's where the 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 companies that are buying small buildings and large buildings are going to. Okay, the the bigger banks and a lot of the other financial institutes uh, institutions don't lend there. Okay, so. Keep that in the back of your mind. So I, I think you want to look at the larger banks, and I think you want to look at the uh, uh, also the uh, other financials. Okay. Now, if you don't know who those are, that's for me to know and for you to find out. Uh, now, the other thing I think is interesting is as we're in a kind of a time of transition, I think, and as inflation begins to resolve to the downside, uh, economic growth has has kind of. Been more varied by region. All right, so price inflation peaked in 2022 throughout most of the world, and as it comes down, I think some of the foreign stocks will start to do better. And you know, if if I look at the regional breakdown uh, by revenues and that type of thing, I think our ADR list might be something you want to start to take a look at. Uh, it's, it's it's available by just going to WHK1420 local podcast down the Smart Investor Show and, and just email me or text me or whatever. I don't know. Uh hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned.
1: Join the Cleveland Orchestra for an evening of Beethoven and Haydn. The sounds of the countryside come to life in Mandel Concert Hall with Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony. Beethoven's Pastoral, February 22nd through 25th at Severance. Tickets at clevelandorchestra.com.
3: Hey, friends, Bob France here for my good friends at G&J Waterproofing of Cleveland. You need to know those letters, G&J. That's all. If the basement is leaking, you've got problems, and I've got solutions. What did I tell you those letters were? G&J Waterproofing. That's it. Listen, only company you're going to need uh, if you want to handle your basement problems the right way for the right price and to do it right now. And the thing I love most about G&J... The warranty. They've got the strongest warranty in the industry, literally twice as long as anybody else's. Now, how can you afford to give a warranty that long? When you know you're not going to have to do a lot of warranty work because you do the job right the first time. That's what they do. G&J has won every service award there is. Both the Better Business Bureau and Angie's List give them A ratings. That's what comes with 15 years of experience treating people and basements the right way. Go onto the website. Log on to gjwaterproofingofcleveland.com and then call this number, 440-687-6079. Get a free in-home inspection, 440-687-6079. Call now.
2: All right, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investment Show, and uh, I, I will mention that we're going to have Marshfield in town. And people ask me who's Marshfield. It's an outside money manager. You know, one of the things that uh, one of the advantages of doing business with us is that we have, boy, just a boatload of high quality money managers. What's the difference between a money manager and a, and a, a mutual fund? Well, look, you know, we do all the financial planning and all that good stuff, but the, the, what's a the key with a money manager is a mutual fund in a down market can only go to 10% cash. A money manager can give you 50 or 60. As a matter of fact, I'm you know, uh, I'm looking past, you know, past performance doesn't indicate future success and all that stuff, but I think Marshfield's only had one year, and that was 2008, when everybody was down, over... loss ever. And in the last 24 years, 23 years, most, I mean, their down years have been like 1% or 2%. So they've had one year, 20 years. And by the way, 16 of those years were a bear market, a structural bear market. So they're going to be in town June 6th and 7th. They now take only $250,000. It'd be worth it, uh, in my humble opinion. Uh, If you'd like more on that, you know, give me a call and we'll work from here. Now, I've been talking for some time now about what I consider a very disruptive area in healthcare. care. Uh, you know, we, we have several things going on. We have weight loss drugs, uh, although the problem with the weight loss drugs is that uh, they also don't do wonders for your muscles. All right. So uh, that, that'll be the key. That'll be the, the some of these stocks are, you know, I, I think uh, one stock would be a trillion dollar stock pretty soon, which is interesting. But uh, the some of the charts on those stocks are parabolic, so be careful with them. But w- look, we think technology, alternative care sources, and payment reform are the keys to fixing health care. It's been pretty well documented that healthcare spending in the U.S. continues to grow at a very unsustainable rate. Uh, now, part of the problem is the government. The government, you know, keeps putting on uh, rules and I mean, it's, it's like injectables right now. Injectables are pretty hard to get. The CBS is out of them. And it's because of, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. They made it very, very difficult to, to, to manufacture this stuff. And, and uh, you can't have a price increase. Therefore, a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with them. So not many people are putting them out, you know. And it's, it's, it's a problem. So, look, I think what you have to do uh, is... You know, well, well, let's just put it this way. We are firm believers that technology, increasing consumerization, and adoption of new payment and reimbursement models will play a really critical role in uh, driving the much-needed optimization in that business. Now, look, um, all the HC data has been – healthcare data has been digitalized which is a significant advancement from the industry just 15 years ago. Uh, but still, little of it is being used to create value, and that's the problem. So looking forward, emerging technologies like Genitive AI, we've been pounding the table on Genitive AI, and believe me, some of those stocks that we we had in our report, <laughs> you, you don't want to see the report because uh, that most of those are up drastically. Uh, you know, it can help. It, it can create scenarios where we can see where we, we can cut the cost, okay? So, you know, generally, I, you know, you can look at cases spanning from helping providers make better diagnoses, uh, I'm sorry, improving caregiver, worker productivity, uh, you know, advances in virtual health and, and retailization of health, meaning bringing it to the consumer, are resulting in more care being delivered outside the traditional delivery system. I mean, you know, it's hard to see a doctor now. You can go on go online, you can you can talk to them on, on a telephone, or you go to urgent care. That's simple, you know. So so the forces uh, combined with new value based reimbursement models are are much better aligned uh providing incentives and setting off a you know, a, a kind of a virtuous cycle that's gonna go in here. So we think it's Investors should have some exposure there. Now, it's it's going to be volatile, okay? So we expect digital health space to outperform for the first time in several years. And we got a great report on it. Highly recommend it. Um, some people think I'm nuts, but uh, that's okay. Um, by the way, there was a lot of people telling me that I was kind of nuts several years ago when I said we were at the bottom in 2009 or that China was at the top in 2007. That's okay, you know? Uh, by the way, my my first seminar had like 125 people, and I told them to get out of all their biotechs, healthcare, technology stocks, and I thought they were going to hang me by my toes uh, from the from the <laughs> screen in the front of the room. But that's okay. So Valentine's Day has come and gone. I hope you had a great one. And uh, you know what's not to like about what we're seeing here? We got a con- we got a equity market that. Got a huge wall of worry uh, through an, the entire 2023 20, year, and it goes up 26%. Jeez, doesn't get better than that. And any long term resi- uh, relationship in- investment, there always be dips. Okay, so count on it. So the guys that are trying to trade in and out, uh, some of them, you know, do what I guess uh, they charge significant fees. But look, my. View remains unchanged, and I look at the equity market low in 2022, and I, you know, we we said it on the on the air here, Uh, and a four year cycle was coming in 2024. So we got through 2023, and it was up big, and and tactically, we've got a, we've had a 20 percent reset rebound in the last quarter. Small caps were up 24 percent. So everybody gave me a hard time about that small cap call. I was Lori did a great job of that. So. You know, Wednesday's higher than expected CPI inflation report is just one macro headwind that will likely slow investors' recent enthusiasm for stocks. Folks, that's good. Okay? You don't want the market to go straight up. Remember, uh, you know, Rob Schleimer talked about his quadrant balance indicator, uh, oscillator, I'm sorry, uh, back in November, and it was totally oversold. Well, you know, it's just starting to turn over and probably takes a while to do that. But, you know, look, a lot of the momentum indicators, you know, if you look at technical stuff is, is they're overbought. Okay. And we, we said that, you know, they're overbought the yields were oversold and we we get a little bit of reversal. So don't panic out of the market is what we're trying to tell you in so many words. All right. Now we did say back in November, we talked about the chip industry and uh, <clears throat> you know, there are two or three stocks that have, Literally doubled or tripled in that period of time. Okay, and they were all in the report. So if you didn't get it, uh, there you go. But they're up a lot, right? So you you know a lot of these stocks are up a lot. You know the stocks in the data centers, the AIs, and and uh, you know so you, you want to wait for them to come back to you, right? Don't be the you don't have to be the first one in. Don't chase stocks. All right, right at the moment. I just don't think it's a good idea. You know, I, I noticed a couple things, uh, you know, the, the bullish percents and O's now and all that good stuff. So, but the chip stocks, this is a report that I think most people would like to read because semiconductor manufacturing is truly a global industry. And with the pandemic, they had supply shocks. So people are bringing it in, and it, it, it could be a big, big plus for the group. Uh, and it could, you know, it, it it might mean that some of these uh, are just going to be, you know, long-term home runs. But I think in the meantime, you know, let them come back to you. Uh, we're fairly overbought, and that that means you, uh, you know, I mean, some of these things have skyrocketed. Now, some of them haven't. And I think what you're going to find is that the names that are up there big, some of the other names are going to start to build those chips. Okay. And that GPU shortage will go away. And we're starting to see some people make comments about that in their meetings when they report earnings. So they're starting to spend money on GPUs. Okay. So we'll see what happens. But I think that could be, I mean, especially with the US government spending a lot of money, but there's there's a lot of firms, uh, you know, there's somebody based in the Netherlands that looks like it could go crazy and then you know there's some other names foreign names that look pretty good but there's a lot of the domestic names that look pretty pretty darn good and if they start to build these things we won't have that chip problem anymore i don't think and uh you know it, look it, it's national security uh, to keep the chip manufacturing in the states because we don't want to have uh, the problem that we're having right now and that the gpu shortage probably wouldn't be here if we didn't have the pandemic, right? <laughs> so, there you go, but it's something that I think a lot of people uh, are are looking at and and you know th- they're watching these things go straight up and they're saying, what should I do? What should I do or what could I do? you know So I just uh, you know my personal opinion is uh, you you want to pay particular attention to that area, but I don't think you have to chase you know, chasing right now does not make sense. Okay. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Remember you know, last uh, a week ago was the first time we had inflows into the stock market in 12 weeks. And we had the market go up, you know, it's the first time since 1972, 14 to 15 weeks. Okay. So here we, we have the wall of worry. Everybody's saying, ah, ah, you know, nobody's putting money to work. You know, people are still looking at CDs at four and a half percent, which is okay too, by the way. But does it make sense? The wall of worry is important. Look, the best investment most people make is when their stomach's turning, and when you're absolutely delighted with everything, it's time to go. All right. Unless you're really long term oriented. But there are some charts that I've, I've been looking at that are I mean, you know, when they go parabolic, you have a channel and you make another up channel, then you made a third up channel. And that third up channel can be really uh, exciting. But once it turns and makes a, it usually makes a lower high, you, you better be careful. Now, I'm going to we'll, I think we're taking a break here shortly, but um, one of the areas that nobody. Nobody is talking about, and I've been talking about it on this show for months, years, <laughs> decades, is dividend growth investing, okay? I think this new year brings a much more favorable investing backdrop for dividend growth stocks. You know, you have a situation where last year, you know, they were raising interest rates the year before they were raising interest rates, so people were going to fixed income instead of, you know, dividend growth. But Fed policy shifts, and if you slow inflation a little bit, you know, drives interest rates down a little bit. Now, like I said, I thought we'd have a little bit of a pop because they were oversold. But use, you know, when you buy yield, you want to buy when the yield is up and the particular investment is down in price. So what's happened the last two years? Bonds have got killed. They've had, you know, three straight years of losses. That hasn't happened in a long, long – I don't think it's happened, okay? Not in modern history anyway. It's a good time to buy bonds, okay? We're going to go into dividend growth more here about, well, how long it takes to take a commercial. This is the Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
5: The straight-talking, hard-working, do-it-right plumbers at Why It Works will unclog your drain for only $93, or it's free. What's the catch? There's never a catch with Why It Works. I'd rather starve than do business that way. We really will break up your clog and get your water flowing again for $93. Plus, we'll send a camera down the line so you can see exactly what you're dealing Most with. Most
3: of the time, clog busting's all you need. walla doodle
5: Back to your regularly scheduled life with a 12-month no-backup guarantee. If your drain line needs more, we'll explain all the options, including flexible payments and guaranteed estimates. And on the off chance clog busting can't get your drain flowing, our service call is free. You'll still get upfront pricing on solutions to your problem, but with no initial service fee. That's on us. Either we deliver on our promised clog busting, or it's free. So don't put up with half solutions or slow or clogged drains. Call Why Works
2: I I just want to say a couple things. Uh, You know, if you own a small business, one of the ways you can hide more money from Uncle Sam is, is get somebody who knows what they're doing about your retirement program. And uh, we have some folks, uh, Dane Topp has been on our show many a times with Dunbar Bender and uh, they have a nasty habit of being able to secure you more money into your retirement plan, as well as some of your, your people that work for you. So, uh, you know, it's getting to tax time, and you're, you're probably thinking, how can I get the, you know, take away the bite? <laughs> and uh, that'd be a good idea. Uh, second of all, uh, I'm back driving, so the the, the knee is uh, slowly but surely uh, coming together. Uh, now, I'm not going to enter any dance contests soon, but I probably could make an appointment or two. <laughs> so if you'd like to sit down with me and talk about things, uh, you know, now's the time. Uh, I highly recommend our Wealth Planned and our Family Inventory Workbook. All right. So, look, um, one of the things I talk about is our dividend growth portfolio and our prime income list. Now, I don't 100% agree with what RBC puts together, but I'm sure they don't agree with what I say. But anyway, there's a lot of good names on these lists. And I think if you buy them at the right time, all of them are good names. So uh, they're available. You go to WHK 1420, go down to Smart Investor Show. Uh, and it goes right to my web page. Hit the contact me, email me, that type of thing. Uh, by the way, Rob Schleimer's stuff is under bulletin board, and under insight, there's all there's a bunch of new in- info there right at the moment. So dividend growth investing, you're probably going to hear about this a lot from me going forward. <laughs> so look, the valuations of dividend growth stocks look very compelling versus the broader market. Simple as that. The underperformance of, of the stocks in 2023 has left the valuation relative to the broader market very depressed. Uh, and remember, 40% of the gain in the S&P 500 for the last 80 years are dividends. Okay? Not not hard to figure out. Uh, so, it, look, dividend stocks yields versus fixed income yields are, you know, there's a bit of a headwind because interest rates went up so far, and everybody took money out of The dividend growth stocks and bought them into CDs, and then when they did that, the market took off. So everybody did it probably pretty much by October of last year, scared to death, wall of worry, and the small caps were up twenty two percent in the last two months of the year, twenty four percent actually, and the S and P five hundred was up ten and a half. Good call, folks. Good call. (laughs) It should have been new money is what I'm trying to say in so many words. But look, if the Fed is pivoting, and I don't think they're raising rates anytime soon. uh, I don't know. I could be wrong on that. But if you look at the relative valuations of the dividend aristocrats versus the S&P 500, they're almost two standard deviations below. Now, statistically, it doesn't get better than that. Okay? It just doesn't get better than that. They're oversold. They're washed out. Everybody's buying, you know, AI stocks, which we talked about last year, and I got no problem with that, or data center products or, you know, some of the other names we brought up here. Small caps are starting to go. But the key to investing is compounding. All right? The key to any kind of compounding, 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 compounding. You know what the rule of 72 is? Divide the return. By 72, it tells you how many years it takes you to double your money. Okay. So the point is, if you have a three and a half percent dividend that you're buying because it's that the the stock is down, the yield is up, and they're raising their dividend at six to eight percent a year, and the stock goes up five percent or six percent, or maybe has a good year, goes up 15 or 20, you're looking really good in the long run. And believe me, if you're 40, When you're 45 and you have the dividend growth going, it could be—it's just huge. It's—it's a compounding effect, and uh, it—it can really do well. And if you look at the spread between corporate bond spreads over the S&P 500 dividend yield, it's back to a normal scenario. Okay, so uh, things could get very, very interesting. So I think what you should look for is strong long-term returns for dividend growth stocks. Uh, the prime income list is more for those people who need income now, okay? But they're still high-quality businesses. And high-quality businesses continue to grow their dividends. You can't bake them, okay? If they think they're going to cut the dividend, the world knows about it because there's people just taking over. You know, they're looking at the annual reports and, and reviewing them, and they're just ripping them apart, okay? So the dividend, you know, you can't take a dividend. and Investors of all type of value uh, should be looking for growing dividend income streams. Dividends are taxed less than capital gains. They're taxed less than bonds. They're taxed less than CDs. Just remember that. So it's a great idea. In the meantime, uh, you know, we do have our dividend growth list, our prime income list. Our ADR list is available. Our small cap list, I think that could get real interesting in the second half of the year. but. I'm back driving again, folks. So uh, if you'd like to set up a wealth plan or you'd like a family inventory workbook, uh, I think it's a great idea. Barron's this week says, people that have financial advisors do much better towards retirement than people without them. Not Tim Hayes, Barron's, folks. Please read it. I I, <laughs> I love when people, I've been saying that for years, but now Barron's does it. So, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, but in the meantime, it's cold. It's a great day for a warm warm bowl of soup and, and uh, watching a movie and that type of thing. But in the meantime, you know, I haven't had anybody complain about making a wealth plan. So this is Smart Investor Show. My name is Tim Hayes. Remember to buy low, sell high. Have a great weekend.
1: Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free, 888 223 7742. That's 888 223 7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, making it com Tim Hayes.